0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for being here today. Welcome to First Free Church. If you're new, my name is Adam, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of bringing the word of God today. As we continue to worship God, we've just been worshiping him through our singing, now we're just gonna keep that worship going, but we worship God by studying his word together. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to the book of Job. The book of Job is where we're gonna start today, and we're gonna be talking about everyone's favorite topic, which is suffering. We're going to talk about suffering today, and the reason we're talking about suffering today, not only is it just a good thing for us to talk about from a biblical perspective, but also we are going through the rooted discipleship experience right now as a church. We've got over 150 people participating right now. We're going to offer it two more times this year, and we'll keep offering it after that and in following years. Because it's an incredible opportunity to connect with other followers of Jesus, or sometimes not followers of Jesus yet. People who are just kind of curious about Christianity and exploring it, and grow and learn together. It's a great, great program. I hope everyone will go through it. And our sermon series right now, called Back to the Basics, is coinciding with that Rooted experience. So the week that we're on in Rooted right now is suffering, and our Rooted groups have had incredible conversations about suffering, suffering that they've experienced, how to respond to that biblically. And so our sermon today will be all about that that topic. How do we respond to suffering? And Job is someone that experienced a lot of suffering in his life. We're also going to talk about David today, so we'll spend a little bit of time in 1 Samuel 2. But the question we're going to look at is where is God in the midst of suffering? Where is God in the midst of suffering? I'm sure all of you have experienced a variety of pain and hurts and suffering in your life. And chances are at some point in the middle of that, you have asked the question, where is God in all of this? Why am I going through this? God, why are you allowing me to go through this? We suffer with medical conditions. Some of you are struggling with with incredible health burdens. Some of you are watching online right now because you can't be here because of your health issues. And so there's all kinds of suffering going on with our health. We suffer in our mental health. We suffer sometimes in relationships, maybe relationships that hurt us. We suffer uh, when when loved ones die or when loved ones hurt us in some way, when they they betray our trust in some way. There are all sorts of pain and suffering and hurt and loss that we experience in this life. And it seems like a valid question to ask, hey, if there's a good God, (laughs) and if that good God is all-powerful, and why do we experience so much suffering in this world? There's actually a bigger term for that question. It's called the problem of evil. How many of you have heard of the problem of evil before? The problem of evil is a reason many people will give for why they don't believe in God. If there is a good God who is all-powerful, then how can there be so much suffering? And since there is suffering and pain in this world, then God can't be either all-good or all-powerful. Because if he's all good and he's all powerful, then he ought to just wipe out all of the bad. And honestly, that is not a question that I'm going to try to resolve for you today. That's not the focus of our topic. I want to mention it and I want to give you some some pointers on where to look to get help with that issue. But that's not what I want to spend the bulk of my time on today. For those of you that that is a, a concern for you and a question for you. I would recommend a book by Dinesh D'Souza called God Forsaken, and it's the best treatment I have read on the problem of evil. It's very accessible. It's not super heady or or nerdy or anything like that, but it really dives into this issue of how can a good God who is all-powerful allow so much brokenness, hurt, pain, and suffering in this world? So God Forsaken by Dinesh D'Souza, if you want to dig into that topic more. What I want to talk about today is really meant for people who believe in God, have trusted in Jesus... I've done all the right things, pray all the time, and yet you're still suffering. You're still hurting in some way. You experience pain in your life. You experience loss in your life. And you find yourselves at different times going, why? Why, what's the point? Why this senseless hurt in my life, this loss in my life? Job was a man who knew loss really well. I'm sure most of you are familiar with his story. He was a man who God said was the finest man in all the earth, a wonderful man who was basically blameless. He, he stayed away from evil. He was a good man. Not only that, he was incredibly wealthy. He was very blessed. Now, the way you measured wealth back in those days was not so much with how much money was in the bank account, but how many animals were in the pen, because animals were your assets that continued to produce over time. If you had a lot of animals, you could make more animals and you could get things from them. And so it was an investment that had dividends that paid over and over and over again. And your, your, your flocks would just grow and grow and grow and you'd have more of them. So the Bible tells us that Job had 7,000 sheep. I don't have 7,000 anything, but 7,000 sheep. That's amazing. He had 3,000 camels. He had 500 teams of oxen, and I think a team means two at least, so he had a lot of oxen. And he had 500 female donkeys. Nobody cares about the males, but 500 female donkeys because then you can make more donkeys. This guy was loaded. Very wealthy guy until this happened. Look at Job chapter 1 if you're there in your Bibles. We're going to start in verse 6. One day, The members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. The members of the heavenly court are spiritual beings that God has created that in some way rule with him over his creation. We don't know exactly how that works. There are lots of theories about it, but one of the spirit beings that came before the Lord that day was the accuser, Satan. Verse 7, where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? And Job probably wishes God would have kept his mouth shut. But God says, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And Satan replied to the Lord, yes. Yes. But Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right. You may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And he proceeded to do horrible things to Job. All of his oxen and his donkeys and his camels, they all got stolen on the same day by different groups of people. There was a huge fire that swept through his fields and all of his sheep, 7,000 sheep, and all the shepherds were burned up in a day. And to make matters worse, There was a hurricane force wind that came through and swept over his oldest son's house. And the house collapsed and everyone in it died. But that day, they were having a dinner party and the oldest son had invited over all of the other kids. So all seven sons, all three daughters died at the same time as the house collapsed. Now, some of you know the pain of losing a job. Job lost multiple businesses that employed hundreds of people. All of his source of income and many, many other people's income all went up in smoke all in one day. Many of you know the pain of losing a loved one. Job had to bury his 10 children from a freak accident. They all died on the same day. And from Job's perspective, this was the most unfortunate and unpredictable day of his life. And it would only seem natural for him then to blame God for his suffering. I mean, what a senseless loss. How, 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 could, how could God allow this to happen? He was, he was obedient. He was basically blameless. He, he had complete integrity. Why would Job experience all of this loss? And Job didn't know the reason. His friends didn't know the reason. His friends tried to come up with a reason, tried to come up with some purpose for it. The Bible says that Job and all of this did not blame God, but his friends tried to blame Job. His friends, by the way, Job's friends are a great example of what not to do when someone you know is suffering. Job's friends basically tried to resolve the issue as quickly as possible. They tried to come up with a solution and say, okay, we figured it out, Job. It's because you must have sinned. And so that's why all these bad things happen. So it's got to be some sin in your life that has caused all of this. And Job's looking at his life and going, I, I don't think so. I mean... I may have, you know, taken my camel over the speed limit a couple of times, but I don't think I've done anything that would warrant this." And so Job's going, no, I don't think there's any sin, and his friends are like, no, you know, no we're pretty sure we solved it, we resolved it, and it's sin in your life. We had a preaching brainstorm meeting this week where I invite a bunch of different people to give insight into the message and to hear their thoughts. And I want to, I want to kind of know what they're thinking. They're always so good and so helpful. And we, our conversation shifted often from talking about how to deal with suffering to how to help people who are dealing with suffering, which was interesting. It just, it just kept going that direction. And when we were talking about helping people who are suffering, one of the ladies said this. I used to be so quick to give advice now i mostly ask questions and just listen i used to be quite the advice dispenser but i've noticed that no one has told me they really miss that (laughs) someone else then shared about their comfort of someone who was suffering and that person telling them at one point can't you just sit with me and not try to fix this right now just just as a side note when we see other people who are suffering, sometimes the best thing we can do is just be with them and listen and ask them questions and not try to fix the problem right away. That can, that can be annoying sometimes. In fact, you know, people that have been married a long time, you know this, sometimes your spouse is not looking for you to fix the problem. They just want to share it with you and have you walk through the grief, the frustration, the irritation that they have. My wife and I, had, you know, it took a while but eventually, we sort of figured out that at the beginning of the conversation, it was really nice if, if one person told the other, by the way, I'm not looking for you to fix this. It was probably the most loving thing my wife could have ever done was starting to tell me that at the beginning of conversations. Because my natural tendency is to be like, okay, I hear your problem, and I've got a solution. And sometimes that's not what she needs. She's not looking for a solution. She's looking for someone to commiserate with her and that she can talk with and share with and who will kind of have some empathy and, and feel her pain in that moment. And so she is, is a huge blessing by just letting me know up front, this is something, and then sometimes, occasionally, rarely, she will say, I'm actually looking for a solution. <laughs> I'm actually, I actually want your help on this. And my brain goes, oh, good. <laughs> we can do something about this. And the conversation will probably be short. Just kidding, I love talking to my wife. Job's friends didn't know why Job was suffering, and Job didn't know why he was suffering. But there was a reason. We can know that in hindsight. We now can see what that reason was. I I think it's probably because eventually a lot more was revealed to Job, and that got passed on. Eventually, of course, that got written down for us. But we have the benefit of seeing the big picture in hindsight. But Job, in that moment, when he was experiencing that suffering, he didn't know why, but there was a reason. And if God is omniscient, omniscient means he knows everything. And if God is omnipotent, which means he has all power, he is all powerful, he can, he can do anything. If God knows The suffering that we're going to experience before we experience it has the power to stop it. The fact that he allows it to go on, doesn't that mean that he has some purpose for it? There's some reason that he's allowing it to take place, even if we don't know what it is. So God's purpose in Job's suffering was to demonstrate to spiritual beings that this human being, Job, had a genuine faith that wasn't just dependent on being blessed all the time. Think about it. That's really what prompted Job's suffering it wasn't something he did the bible is very careful to tell us it was not his sin that caused this god had a different purpose a higher purpose for his suffering that really didn't even have that much to do with job it was about god demonstrating to the heavenly court and to satan that hey it's not just because he's got all these blessings what about you and me you take away all our blessings are we still going to be faithful to god you take away all the stuff we enjoy in life you take away the relationships you take away our kids Take away our job, our livelihood, all the material things that we have. Are we still gonna praise God? Are we still gonna say, I'm not gonna blame God for any of this? That was the ultimate test. That was the test for Job. When the blessings are gone, will he still be faithful? And he passed the test. God's purpose was to demonstrate that to the spiritual beings that Job didn't even know existed, at least not in that way. There was purpose even though Job didn't know it. So what was where was God in the midst of Job's suffering? Well, he was testing and strengthening Job's faith, certainly. And he taught Job a lot through that process. You can read that in the rest of the book of Job. But he was also using Job's suffering to demonstrate his faithfulness to others. He was using Job's suffering in addition to growing Job in a way that Job couldn't have even imagined. What if, what if God's doing that through some of your hurt and your pain? What if there are some purposes that God has for the suffering that you go through that you can't even understand? You don't even know what it is. Maybe one day you get to heaven, he pulls back the curtain, and you go, oh, that's what you were doing. Now I see. But what if we had that perspective now? Not to mention the fact that God grows us through our suffering and strengthens us through our suffering. James writes about this in James chapter one. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Troubles of any kind, whatever it is that you face, this is so hard because when we lose our job, when we get diagnosed with a condition, when we have a loved one who, who dies, when, when we have an experience of betrayal of trust, when someone does something to hurt us, do we consider that an opportunity for great joy? Not right away, at least not me, you probably do, but not me. Man, James says that's an opportunity for great joy. Why? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. There is purpose in your suffering. There is purpose in your hurt and your pain, and it may be purpose for you to grow, and it may also be purpose that you can't even understand right now, that you know nothing about. But there is always purpose because God knows, and he is powerful, and he can stop it, but he chooses to allow it, so there is a reason. There is a purpose for it. And so, James says we can consider it joy, an opportunity for joy when we face any kind of trial, any kind of problem in our life. So what can we learn from Job's story? Well, sometimes our suffering has a cause that we cannot know or cannot know yet. Maybe we'll find out one day, maybe we won't. But sometimes our suffering has a cause that we cannot know. It's got a cause. It's got a purpose. It's got a reason. God has allowed it to happen, but, but we may not know why, and we have to be okay with it. Sometimes, number two, the cause of our suffering is not anything we did or didn't do. It's really easy. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's easy when something bad happens to go, okay, what did I do that deserved this? And, and sometimes that happens. In fact, the Bible says God disciplines his children who he loves. And so there are times where, where God will punish people and discipline them for the purpose of correcting them because they're his children and he loves them. But sometimes we face suffering and hurt and pain that we didn't do anything to cause. Job didn't do anything to cause this. And it just seems completely unfair. And in that unfairness, we can get um, resentful and bitter. I know all about unfairness because I have three kids. And, and when those kids don't get the same amount of something, there's a problem, right? There's, it's unfair. Last night, we went to, Jackson and I, my oldest, went to the glow night here at the church. And it was awesome. I mean, black lights and, and glow sticks everywhere and glow paint and all sorts of fun stuff and lights going on and games. And, and it was super fun. We had a ton of kids out here, and it was great. And we got home, and he was hungry because of all the activity. So, and I was kind of hungry too. So anyway, uh, he, um, he wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, no problem. My wife was there. She made him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and she took out this wheat bread that we often use to make sandwiches, and she made him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich too, but I knew that we also have brioche bread. Now if any of you know the difference between wheat bread and brioche bread, one is much better than the other. (laughs) Wheat bread is best described as hearty. Brioche bread is best described as a pastry disguised as bread. (laughs) Brioche bread is so, so much better. It's basically half butter. And I knew that there would be a problem if I just pulled out the loaf of brioche from the pantry. So I was sneakier than that. And I took two pieces out of the bag, I put it on a plate, and I just subtly put that plate on the counter. And as soon as he saw it, he went, no fair. (laughs) How come I get the wheat bread and you get the brioche bread? That's not fair. And that led to a great conversation about fairness (laughs) and who pays for the bread. Because that changes the whole dynamic. We had a lovely long discussion, which ended up in him having another sandwich with brioche bread, but he learned a valuable lesson. There are a lot of things in life that we find to be unfair, and part of why we find them to be unfair is because we forget who bought the bread. If he's God and he's in charge and he, he knows everything and he set everything up and he's all-powerful, when he pulls out the kind of bread that we don't want, it's easy for us to get bitter and vengeful and just want to run from God because we forget who bought the bread. Sometimes our suffering is not caused by something we did or didn't do, and yet there is still purpose in it and he's still God and he gets to do that. And we'll find out one day what the reason is, Lord, we Number three, God is glorified when we remain faithful to him, even when we suffer. Job didn't know it at the time, but the entire time his friends were accusing him and the entire time he was experiencing great personal torment and loss, that whole time, God was being glorified by the fact that Job was still choosing to trust God and not curse him and not blame him in front of the heavenly court and in front of Satan because it proved that it wasn't the blessings that made his trust and obedience real. Sometimes your suffering brings way more glory to God because you remain faithful to him, even though you think from a humanly perspective, you have every reason to curse God, as Satan thought Job would. Let's talk about David. We've talked about Job. If you got your Bible, turn to First Samuel. David was just a teenager when he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. He's a very skilled musician, especially with a harp. He's a great songwriter. Eventually, he became King Saul's chief musician, although Saul didn't didn't know that that David was chosen by God to replace him yet. David served Saul with incredible faithfulness he he was the king's armor bearer for a while eventually he was promoted to lead military units he led many successful military campaigns for Saul he served Saul very faithfully but as David was more and more successful his successes threatened Saul because the people saw David as a better leader than Saul was and so Saul decided to kill him he was jealous his ego was hurt So he decided to kill him. He tried to do it himself multiple times. He would take a javelin when David was in his court. He would throw a javelin at him. I I guess the king could just do that if he wanted to. And he missed every time. David would dodge out of the way. And so finally, Saul got upset enough that he sent a whole bunch of elite military soldiers to go and find David and to kill him. And David had to go on the run with a group of his loyal friends, men who were loyal to him, living in caves bouncing from cave to cave, not eating well, not sleeping well, missing their families, running for his life all the time, the, the anxiety and the panic that you'd have from constantly fearing that any moment those soldiers might show up and end your life, David was suffering. And suddenly Paul or uh, Saul rather got a hot tip that David was in the caves of En Gedi. So he sent 3,000 elite soldiers to En Gedi to find David and to kill him, and Saul went with them. They found the right cave, but they didn't know it was the right cave. And Samuel records the story for us in 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse three. It says, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. If you thought the Bible was all just lovely, perfect, nothing nasty going on. No, it's it's got the real life, authentic stuff going on too. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Here's your your chance. Here's the guy that's been persecuting you, the the cause of all your suffering. Now is your opportunity. Today, the Lord is telling you, so his men are, are trying to say, hey, this must be a sign from God. Here is your chance to end your suffering. The Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward, and he cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe, and and David's men were going to actually kill Saul. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut the robe. He took a souvenir right before they were going to kill him. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. See, the people of Israel had cried out to God for a king. And God said, okay, I will give you a king. And God actually anointed Saul king of Israel, and then Saul made a mess of everything. But David had enough respect for God that he said, since this is God's chosen king, I will not accelerate this process. Yes, I've been anointed. I will not accelerate this process on my own. This is God's king. It'll be God that removes him, not me. I am not going to be the one to do this. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Now, David's story is absolutely amazing to me because David got what every person who suffers longs for, a way to end it. With a swing of an arm, suffering gone. It's like God put two buttons in front of David, a red button and a blue button. If you press the red button, Saul your persecutor, the cause of all your suffering, gone, but you're killing the Lord's anointed king. If you press the blue button, you don't kill the Lord's anointed king, but your suffering continues. You continue for who knows how long to live in fear and anxiety, on the run, fearing for your life all the time, living in horrible conditions in caves. Which one would you choose? you're suffering from something right now and you had the opportunity to end it by doing something wrong, would you do it? That's the test David had in front of him. Here he is running for his life, living in horrible conditions, being hunted like an animal, but he shows incredible character, at least at this moment. Not all the time. There were times in his life where he didn't. Ironically, the times where David showed the least amount of character were the times that he wasn't suffering. When he was on top of the world, when he was the king, that's when he slipped up. When he had everything he wanted, it was when he was suffering that he showed incredible character. And he chose not to kill Saul, even though it could have ended his suffering. You know what he did instead? David had an outlet for his suffering. All the while he was running from Saul, he was writing songs. And we have a lot of those recorded for us. In the Psalms, we have all these songs that David wrote at different times when he was experiencing suffering in his life or joy or they're they're from all sorts of things. But many of the Psalms are are, are birthed from pain and hurt and suffering and loss. And I want to share a couple of them with you, just some snippets of the lyrics of songs David wrote. This is something that he wrote when he was being chased by Saul and fleeing in these caves. He says in Psalm 59, rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Rescue me from these criminals. Save me from these murderers. They have set an ambush for me. Fierce enemies are out there waiting, Lord, though I have not sinned or offended them. I have done nothing wrong, yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up. See what is happening to help me. Do you ever feel like saying that to God? Doesn't it feel a little sacrilegious for David to be crying out to God and saying, God, wake up. See what is happening to me. Help me. This is the cry of a man who is suffering. He is in anguish. And he writes it in a, in a song. He even actually says at the beginning of the song what tune to sing it to. The tune was do not destroy. I have no idea what that tune sounds like. No, nobody does. But this was meant as a song. To be sung, to, to, to cry out to God and share. Here is the grief that I'm experiencing, God. And I'm, I'm begging you to come and help me. And many of the Psalms are that way. Here's another one, Psalm 55. Another one, David on the run from Saul. He says, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. He was having a panic attack. His heart's thumping in his chest. His body is shaking. He's got so much anxiety from being on the run, and he's waiting for God to help him, and he just feels like he's being ignored. He's having a panic attack here. Do you ever feel that way? The whole world is against me. I'm not sure if I can take much more of this. God, why aren't you stepping in? Why aren't you helping me? And then he says in the very next verse, oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I would fly away and rest. He had no rest. He says, I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. Don't you ever feel that way about your problems? Like you wish you could just fly away and leave them all behind. I just want to be done with this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. God, I either want you to step in and resolve this problem for me, or I want to be able to just leave and be done with it. But David had some other things in his songs as well. His conclusions are found in in a few verses like in Psalm 55. He says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. In Psalm 59, he says, but as for me, I will sing about your power. Remember, this is the guy that just said, stop ignoring me. Please help me. But he says, "I I will sing about your power, God. For each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge a place of safety when I am in distress. Oh, my strength, to you I sing praises for you, oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. Do you get the the dichotomy that's taking place here, the two different things that are true at the same time, that on the one hand he's saying, God, where are you? Wake up, come help me, come rescue me, come save me, and on the other hand, I will keep praising you and trusting in you, and you are my refuge and my strength. How can both of those exist in the same mind at the same time, but but you've experienced the same thing. There is that battle within us when we're suffering, when we're in pain, there's a part of us that is saying, God, why do you allow this to continue? And there's a part of us that is saying, but I've gotta keep trusting. I've gotta keep having faith in God. I'm gonna keep praising him. I'm gonna choose joy, even when I feel like cursing God because of what I'm going through. I so appreciate This being recorded for us that we can see that this man, David, a man after God's own heart, the Bible says, wrestled in this way when he was suffering. He knew that even in the midst of all his suffering, all his anxiety, all of his pain, God was still there. God was still worth trusting. God was still worth following. And he trusted God to eventually deliver him. He says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. Paul said something similar, cast your cares on a Jesus for he cares for you. And David said, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. And so David chooses, instead of wallowing in his ministry, instead of ending his own life, he chooses to sing. He turns to music. Music becomes his his relief a little bit of a healthy escape his reminder of the goodness of God his way of expressing his hurts and his his discouragement to God and just to to get it out there and so he turns to music where was God in the midst of David's suffering well he was developing David's character but he was also comforting David through the gift of music and that's what we have recorded for us today This was somewhat unexpected this week, but because of our rooted groups going on, I had the opportunity to have a conversation that I I did not um, think was going to happen. But at the Preaching Brainstorm meeting, we were talking about suffering, and then um, someone had been in a group with someone who was talking about suffering, and they checked with them and asked, hey, would it be okay? Would you be willing to share about this? And this is not an easy thing to do, but to to get get out and share about your suffering while it's still going on. But I I got to talk with James Slater this week, about her suffering. And you may not know Jane, but she has uh, had a brain tumor, and she had cancer in her lungs, and she's been through an incredible amount of pain and suffering. I think she actually downplays it a little bit um, when you talk to her about it, but she's been through a lot, a lot of suffering. And she says that her experience of suffering with all this cancer in her body and all of the operations that she's had and and, an incredible amount of stuff that has just taken a huge toll on her, that it has brought her closer to God and been reason for joy. And it's hard to understand that. But I got to talk with her this week and record the conversation, and I want to share a little bit of it with you right now. I wonder if for all of the people who are in our church who maybe don't know you really well, if you could just share a little bit about yourself. Help us get to know Jane Slater. Um, well, as I was... Telling
1: you earlier, I was a pattern maker for about 30 years and uh, ended up uh, finding out that I had a brain tumor. Uh, So I retired and I started uh, having a lot of medical problems. And uh, my husband, Larry, has been very supportive to help me uh, get through this. And uh, so I started uh, uh, in July of uh, 19. I had brain surgery. I had, uh, they looked at it and thought it was just a a benign benign tumor. Thank you. He's here to help me come up with my words. and, but it wasn't, it was a malignant lung cells. So in, uh, in July of 19, I ended up having five radiation treatments over five days. Um, and then in August of 19, I had four chemo sessions for my lung tumor. Um, in December of 19, I had an upper lobectomy where they actually take out half year lung. Um, and then in April, 2020, I had 10 radiation treatments over 10 days for my head. So, uh, you know, we're talking about suffering. Um, I would think that qualifies for that. And, but God has been so good, um, uh, through all the various, uh, MRIs, the PET scans, um, uh, he has just been there with me, uh, through the whole thing, holding my hand. And, um, you know, I, I told, uh, God that I didn't want to be afraid or fearful about dying because I knew where I was going. So, but the process, uh, was kind of, uh, scary to me. And the minute I prayed that, he changed everything, and I was i was fine. I knew that I was going to heaven, or I wasn't. I was staying uh, here to help other people, to encourage others.
0: What was the biggest challenge for you uh, in this, just health-wise or, or pain-wise?
1: I'll tell you. To get a radiation on your head, you have to have a mask made I hate to tell anybody that's got this, because it'd be better if you don't find out, but um, it was, uh, I had to get a a mask made that fit over my face and I had to lay on like a table and then they clipped the mask down to the uh, uh, table. So I can't move my head and that, I'm claustrophobic. So, and I've had that how many times? 15 times now? And now it's kind of like eh. But the first the first time it was it was rough. And the you know, as it went along, it went along. Now it's okay.
0: Did you find throughout this whole process in the last several years that there have been times where it's been difficult for you to trust God?
1: Yes. I hate to say that. Uh, but if I'm going to be honest, the longer it goes on, the harder harder it gets, I think. Um, and then what I do is I go back to my John 11. John, uh, God is faithful and he keeps his word. So if I start getting frightened or, uh, or just discouraged or whatever, I go back to that. And then how can I be? Uh, uh, discouraged when he tells me he tells me his word that and I I told him uh, that you know I don't want to be sick but I know it's the best way for me to really cling to him so I know it's a win win he either takes me home or I live out a long life and it's up to him to decide so as I continue to read his word um I know that I'm, I'm next to him, I'm close to him. He's close to me. So how can I, uh, how can I not uh, love that? It's, you know, Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and petition, let your request be made known with thanksgiving. That includes cancer. Can you imagine that? Yeah. That includes cancer. Yeah. So uh, I, the more I obey Him, the more I will have a wonderful uh, end of my life. So, uh, uh, so anyway.
0: Really appreciate Jane taking the time uh, and having the courage to share her story. It was not an easy decision to do that. And there's a lot more to that conversation. I'll send it out this week. If you're signed up for Senior Pastor Updates, you'll get an email with the whole interview this week. Um, But it's um, it's a great testimony to see someone today who has experienced incredible suffering and like Job and like David has come away from that saying, I will rejoice. I will praise God. I will choose joy. And I've actually grown closer to him through my suffering. It's really an incredible story. I want to share one more with you as well. And this is actually my personal story or one of the stories um, from the the hurt and the pain that I've gone through in life. It was seven years ago, when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant with identical twins. And we were incredibly excited. Uh, we, we were just so, so happy. We already had Jackson, our one-year-old son, and now we were gonna welcome two more babies into the world, and we couldn't have been more thrilled. Um, because of my job and and what i did everybody knew i mean everybody asked us all the time you know it it seemed like so many people in the community that didn't even go to our church at the time knew about it and we were just excited for us it was a great time And we prayed every day for their health and their safety because we knew that they were at a much higher risk than normal pregnancy, the specific type of uh, twins that they were and and the way everything was set up uh, was a much higher risk. So we had checkups all the time and, and, you know, way extra than what you'd normally have, extra ultrasounds and, and all that stuff. And uh, we knew that as long as we made it past 14 weeks and got into the second trimester that we were probably gonna be okay. But that was really when the danger zone was. And after that, it was kind of you know, hopefully smooth sailing. And uh, every checkup was good and healthy heartbeats. And, And one day we went in for a checkup and the heartbeats were strong. And then a few days later we were going to a hospital to have some extra screening and speak with specialists and that kind of thing. We got to the hospital, and we got into the room, and they started the ultrasound, and we knew something was wrong when the friendly nurse stopped talking. And as she's doing the ultrasound, normally they just kind of let the video go, but she would freeze it, you know? She would, she would move it a little bit, freeze it, and take her measurements, and we never got to see any of the movement like we had before. So we, we knew something must be wrong, but we didn't know what it could be. And finally she kind of abruptly just said the doctor will be in shortly, and she left. And and the next several minutes just felt like hours as we were waiting to find out what is going on with our two unborn babies. And then the doctor came in and, and gave us the news that nothing could have prepared us for. It was the most most painful experience of our lives that. Some time in the last few days, they went from having healthy heartbeats to having none at all, and it was it was such an incredibly painful experience. Uh, neither of us have ever felt such anguish and physical pain from something like that. It was terrible, and we cried and cried for several days. I had already taken the next couple of weeks off because it was it was Christmas, actually. And uh, so we went through Christmas. We already had Jackson, which in a way was a blessing. But I'll tell you, for the next couple of weeks, for the next several weeks actually, we just struggled with how could God let this happen? Especially because we had prayed for them like every day. We knew they were at a higher risk. We knew what could happen, but we thought we were out of the woods. We were praising God, and we got through the first trimester. Now we're good, and we prayed for their health every day, and I was in ministry, and my wife was in ministry, and all we did was help people all the time, and we were faithful to him and obedient to him, and it seemed like we're doing everything right. And then they're gone. And because of how far along we were in the pregnancy, we had to go in and deliver them. And so we went through the delivery process for two babies. And we got to hold them and see them. And we just struggled. And fortunately, we had a great group of people around us who supported us and helped us and and struggled with us. But there we were for for weeks uh, just crying and wrestling with it. Questioning God. And then something kind of crazy happened. I had a thought. And I realized, wait a minute. If God is omniscient, that means that he knew that our babies were going to die before they even existed. So the question changed from a question of God, how could you let this happen Two. Why did you allow this in our life? What are you trying to teach us? If you knew it was gonna happen, and you could have stopped it. In fact, from our perspective, it would have been better if it had never happened. You know this, when you experience great anticipation and excitement about something, it's worse that you had the anticipation and then you lose it. But the fact that God allowed it to happen made me realize he did it for a reason. Maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Maybe instead of asking, how could you let this happen? I should be asking, God, what was your purpose in this? And that changed everything for me. I went from blame to purpose. I went from accusing God in in some ways, saying, all right, God, how do you wanna use this? See, God allowed us to experience deep personal loss that still hits us to this day to teach us and grow us, and maybe for some other reasons we don't even know yet. And so now we look back and we can say, thank you, God. Thank you for growing us through that. I wouldn't be the person I am today without that experience. We wouldn't have the family we have today. We wouldn't have been able to help some of the people that we've helped because what we've gone through. Because God allowed us to experience suffering. No matter what hurt you're going through today, no matter what suffering you're experiencing in your life, there's purpose. God has a reason for it. You may not always know what it is, but you can learn from Job. You can learn from Job that your suffering... It has a cause, even if you don't understand it. God has allowed it for a reason. You can learn from David that God is gonna grow you through your suffering. And God can use people around you to support you. And God can even use music to help you get through it. In fact, I asked people that were involved in the preaching discussion this week if they would send me the songs that have helped them the most when they're suffering and we put together a little Spotify playlist, and I'll send that out with the interview to Senior Pastor Updates this week, some great Christian songs that can get you focused on the right things with whatever you're, you're suffering through right now. Just know that in the midst of whatever you're going through, God sees you, he is there with you, and he loves you, even if it doesn't always feel like it. And he is glorified when you remain faithful and trust in him Regardless of what's happened in your life, would you bow your heads with me? We need to close in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I, it, it shocks me even now that it, it's still so painful to remember those experiences. But I'm sure that there are many people here today who are going through similar issues in their life, things that I, I can't even understand, I've never had to wrestle with. Um, life-altering conditions, life-ending conditions in some cases. There are people watching online right now probably who aren't able to be here because of debilitating health conditions they have. There are people suffering and hurting in all sorts of ways and it hurts us and it hits us. But at the same time, God, we know that you are good and you are loving and you allow these things in our life for a reason even if we can't know what it is. So help us, God, to be like Job, to be like David, to not do wrong in the middle of our suffering as we are sometimes tempted to lash out, to to not curse you, to not blame you, but to to recognize who bought the bread. We praise you in the middle of our hurt. We worship you in the middle of our suffering. God, I think of the people that are in Ukraine right now and the suffering that they are experiencing, that the anxiety, the pain, is, as some of them are basically hunted like David was. The weaponry that's being unleashed today in that country, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are there, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them, give them courage, help them to help others as we know they are doing, help us to know from over here what we can be doing to help them, especially in the aftermath of this as we're able to to contribute and send things over, Lord. I pray that your gospel would advance in an incredible way in Ukraine through the work of your churches and the pastors and the seminaries, all the people that are over there who know you as Savior, Lord. We pray that, that being confronted with death like this and destruction like this would actually be an incredible boom for your kingdom, God, use this suffering and turn it around for something good and help us to know how we can be a part of it, even if it's just praying every day. Help us to have that same perspective in our own hurt, our own suffering, Lord. May we always look to you, have faith in you, and point people to you and have joy in the middle of everything we go through in this life. And in Jesus' name I pray.